From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Goal Own Goal. Joining me, as always, for these conversations is my alter ego, the big humbug himself, Roger Mitchell. Hi, mate. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you? You've been bouncing around the world again. Do you know bouncing what? Bouncing around all over the place, but I am, I am, I'm safely back with my dog, so life is good. Good. Life is very, very good. Good, 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 good. And have you managed to catch any of the the big tournament uh, this this week, these two weeks? Yeah, I've been, I've been watching a lot of it because I've, oh, really? I've had some horrendous jet lag, so I've been up <laughs> all sorts of weird hours <laughs> watching just about every game that's gone on, right? So it's... Uh, as always, the World Cup is just uh, for any football fan. It's just a fantastic time of the year. You know, the, this the one the one advantage about the having it in November is you don't feel guilty about sitting indoors watching football day because <laughs> it's true. dark and cold and wet That's and grey outside. So you're not missing. You're not I haven't. Missing the summer, so. I haven't seen many of the games to be honest. Have you not? Not not for some reason. I just haven't managed to get excited about some of those fixtures. Um, no. I'm well, not. it's been it's been a real mixed bag, but. Um, you know, some outstanding results, which I'm sure we'll we'll get to. But um, I, I wanted to ask you, in the spirit of goal on goal, uh, an own goal that um, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and I've, I've told you to watch it, and I hope you have, and that's the Netflix documentary about um, FIFA. Yeah. I did see it, Grant. I saw it was all four or five episodes. and okay. um, So I saw it all, and um, I, I don't know where to start. I, I mean, I know this story. And um, well, this is why I was so keen for you to watch it because I know <laughs> that you know all the people involved. You've dealt with them. You you know, you, you know this stuff inside and out. So I was very curious to get your take. Well, I'll try and go through it and and re- recount a little bit how I felt watching it. It kind of starts in 1998, doesn't it? When Blatt beats Leonard Johansson for um, the, the the presidency. And well, it did, but but it was the bit where they went back to Jao Avalanche. That that was the bit that surprised me is to, really? is to where the rots where the rot set in and how quickly you know and all the stuff with horse dassler and I I, I I you know i didn't know a lot of that stuff rog oh yeah i mean i think i think fifa uh, with Havalanche they realized the, the the asset they were sitting on and, and and so let's start there grant the original sin for all of this starts as it always does with easy money Right, and what, mm-hmm. what do I mean by that? Uh, FIFA uh, is a one-product revenue business. It's the World Cup, you know, and that's one uh, once every four years. And the outrageous fortune of international football is this. You get to make a huge amount of money off somebody else's assets. You don't have a cost of sales. The clubs pay for the yeah. players, you know? So... Anybody that realizing where the, the value of sport was going to go in the 70s and 80s, and you realize that you don't have any operating costs to get that, and then you, you're also a not-for-profit organization with no accountability, 
it's 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 inevitable, Grant. You know, I I wouldn't say oh it all started with Havalange and then Blatter. You know, learnt the ropes. It, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. So you know, and then you saw there you saw Blatter getting something on Havalange and basically doing a deal yeah. with them. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 that's the story of the the whole the whole series, isn't it? Deals that get done. And, um, you know, he, he did unbelievable deals to get elected in 98, which goes back to the second original sin of an organization like FIFA, um, the IOC, or even our own FAs in any country in the world, which is one person, one vote, which means, uh, the reality of it is there's a lot of small, much more, many more smaller members, um, whether they're countries or whether they're smaller clubs or schools, FAs or, you know, badminton associations that get a vote and they can outvote the people that create the value, the, the, the big marquee clubs and countries. Now, anybody with half a brain knows there's a deal to get done there. You vote for me. We're in a non-for-profit organization. I will make sure money comes back to you. Is very, very, you can call it many different names in our world. You can call it pork if you're talking about Congress. You, you can call it corruption if you want to use heavy words. But the reality is, you know, that's how Blatter operated. And, uh, you know, as I say, that that's not, that's never going to change when you've got the constitution of these governing bodies the way they are. You know, I think I may have said on here before, if not, I've said it somewhere else. You know, what you saw in that series, Grant, is that the, the, the football FIFA is utterly politics, utterly politics. And in politics, um, you're meant to have uh, separations of powers. That's what a good constitution is. So the people that make the rules don't execute them. And the people that are judging what's been happened, i.e. the judiciary, are meant to be separate. In football, in the IOC, in sport in general, they're all the same people. They're absolutely all the same people. Uh, which means no accountability. Nobody has to explain uh, all the expenses and where they go to. And when you've got a, a business that doesn't have a cost of sales, it really is happy days. Happy days for anybody that has got a mindset to abuse it. So, you know, in 98, he beats the man that should have won, uh, Leonard Johansson, for the UEFA candidate, and starts the, the process of FIFA being dominated by um, you know, small places like the Caribbean with an awful lot of votes, uh, bring in Africa. Uh, uh, you know, like there's there, there's an underlying theme here about, you know, uh, is FIFA still for Europe and South America and all these other countries are, you know, uh, Johnny-come-latelys. And I, I don't think like that. I kind of like believe in the marketing the game and everything like that all around, but not in the way that you could then have them dictating what happened and, and, and ultimately you, you pay the, the price for that, which is, you know, a World Cup in Russia and a World Cup in winter in Qatar. Ultimately, you pay the price. So, you know, I do know all these people, Grant, you know, Gerard Eichler was there, uh, Johansson, Lars Olsen, uh, Zen Rufinen, <laughs> interesting character. He, he as you, you, that famous phrase of yours, if you're going to kill the king, make sure you get him. He didn't get black. Uh, of course, Jack Warner and Chuck Blazer um, 
all of us know this in football. All of, I mean, like all of us, Grant. There's no, mm. there's no new news here. It's the 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 thing that's always surprised me is that how it's gone gone on so long, and and the reason it's gone on so long is that there are far too many vested interests to actually say, well, hang on a minute, the emperor's got no clothes. You know, because as I said, FIFA is made up of national associations from all over the world, the, the English FA, the Scottish FA, the Angolan FA, etc. You know, um, they themselves don't want to have a go at FIFA because they are the, exactly the same thing. All of these FAs, their power comes from a volume of smaller clubs and associations. And as I say, uh, women's football, schools, football, everything like that. So they're they're never going to be the ones that complain about that. And and listen, it took the FBI. If it hadn't been for them, Blatter would still be there, Grant. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's funny, Roger. You, know, you look at it, and I mean, let's be delicate about this. It's amazing how many votes are concentrated in countries where corruption is a way of life. You know, you you if if you were trying to set up an organisation that would reward corruption, it's hard to think of a better set up here, right? You have an absolute cash cow and you make sure that the swing votes, the majority votes are in the hands of people who are eminently corruptible. I mean, it's just, it, it was really surprising to me actually how deep it went. But, but you know, Roger, what, what I was curious about is what you thought of Blatter in the documentary. A, I was surprised he was in it. Uh, B, I was surprised how talkative he was how outgoing and, you know, there didn't seem to be any remorse or anything about him. It was, it was all very matter-of-fact. Oh, yeah, let me be the nice guy that tells you how it all works. And I kept waiting for the moment where he had to confront anything painful to see how he would get out of it, and it just never arrived. It, 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 there, was, there was never a point where it felt like he was on the spot. And maybe... That's because he did a brilliant job of deflecting it, but I don't know. I wanted, I wanted to know what you felt about that. Well, uh, his, his defence is uh, the members of FIFA may have been corrupt, uh, but FIFA itself isn't, and I can't be held responsible for people that, that's doing that. Now, obviously, that's patently absurd, Grant. In any world of decency and values, any organisation. You have a, a, you're in charge of something that shows to be this rotten to the core. Any, anybody of any decency and professionality says that's on me. Now he, he yeah. does, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to see that. And, and the reason I think I can say, I, I saw this a lot, Grant. Um, when you get in these positions where there's no accountability and it is a cash cow, you do become delusional. I, I I saw them. You know, it was mentioned in the documentary a couple of times, they feel as if they were invincible because they probably were, for the reasons I said before about the Constitution. So, you know, you, I, 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 went, I joined football uh, officially in 98, exactly that year that uh, Leonard Johansson lost. And, and I was around for four years, these different bodies and UEFA significantly better than FIFA. I mean, Eigner's a quality operator, uh, Lars Olsen as well, etc. I mean, they're quality operators, but you still saw 
I, I had no dealings with FIFA, but UEFA law. Uh, you still saw, you know, the meetings, the people coming in from all over the world and the goodie bags and the, what I call the, and you saw in this documentary, the high-fiving and the, the you know, the brotherly handshakes, you know, you're my brother, this. But whenever somebody, this is my experience in life, whenever somebody uses we're brothers, aren't we? You know, it's the opposite in my experience. It's a horrible phrase. Um, in my in my opinion, so you get a lot of that. You know, we, we they're congratulating themselves. Blatter, I think, became totally delusional. You know, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely to the point that you don't see it. And to make that point more, never mind Blatter, because I I, I think he is so rotten that his soul is black, right? But what about Jerome Valk? What, yeah. what, what what about Jerome? I mean, like. You know, J- Jerome Valk, um, anybody that knows the history, this wasn't one off and he got his, you know, suspended or sacked or whatever. Two or three examples. Let me read you a couple of them. Jerome Valk, FIFA Secretary General for eight years before he was sacked, uh, uh, convicted of forging documents and accepting bribes. He, he also had an incident where he was trying to, like, do something very, very shady with MasterCard and Visa. Um, and, 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 and then there was another one uh, where uh, I think the case is understood to be based on the huge salaries and bonus the three men, that's Blatter, Valk, and another one, were paying themselves. Jerome Valk is the opposite of what you would call financial and organizational probity. He played that game. He was in that organization. He knew everything that was going on. His only, your only defense is what he said himself. He said, if you think you can play clean in an organization like FIFA, it's not going to work. Good luck. So what does a good man do, a good man or a woman do? You don't work for FIFA, right? Right. The last thing you do is you work for FIFA, you get caught two or three times and get suspended and sacked, and then you go on a documentary as 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 Saint Pius. The good guy, yeah. You know, yeah. like what what never mind Blatter, that is utterly delusional, Grant. But that's FIFA. And and you know, um everybody should read uh, look at that documentary. For me, there's no surprises in there. Um, neither in the incidents that we saw, the voting deals that were done, the backstabbings, the betrayal, n- none of that was a surprise. What I want to ask now is where does it go from here? Because, um, you know, Gianni, Gianni Inventino was was there and, you know, he was interviewed saying uh, FIFA was, was corrupt and I'm here to clean it up. I'm... I'm, you know, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the new sheriff in town. Um, I don't think he's covered himself in glory in any way. No. Whatsoever. I mean, I, I, I know Gianni not well, but I saw him f- for those four years in UEFA. He was a representative of the Swiss League. And um, there's, there's a lesson in some of this. You know, Gianni was always somebody who would say, um, well, why don't you let the Swiss League do the research in this? We'll do a little bit of the grunt work. What I'm saying is he was uh, proactive and he had a strong, a very strong work ethic. And he moved from the Swiss League to a relatively senior job at UEFA. Not super senior, but relatively senior. At a time when Platini was elected, 
I know this story because the guy he made general secretary was a Scotsman called David Taylor, who went from the SFA. Platini liked him because David Taylor spoke French and they kind of hit it off when I think it was Platini came to the, the, the European Champions League final in Glasgow. Something like that. Anyway, David Taylor became the general secretary. Um, very quickly, he was politically sidelined. He was put in charge only of the commercial side and then downgraded from that. And I started to ask people, David himself as well, I went to Neon, we had a dinner one night to ask him, what happened, David? You were in the box seat. And I asked other people as well. And um, they said, Jan, he was just a great operator. And I said, what, what do you mean by that? He said, well, you know when there's organizations that have always got a go-to guy, somebody that will read those 70-page documents and underline them for the boss, somebody who, yes, whatever you need. You know, the, the way you saw Blatter doing it for Havalanche. Mm -hmm. And this is a compliment to Gianni. He worked his butt off and made himself indispensable. He was the one doing the hard yards. And, you know, then the politics kick in and you get rid of the people that are above you. Uh, and then you, you get to where you are and then the genius and the serendipity of being the bag man for Platini when Platini goes down. Um, I think that's genius timing. You know, who, who leaked that and who didn't leak it, I don't know. But um, Gianni did very well out of that. And then he's taken that role that we know, as and was said in the documentary, you're basically a head of state. You know, you get yeah. to, to, to be there with Putin, you get to be there with it. And, you know, I think he's gone native. Um, I, I don't think he's had a, his, this tenure has been a great one, but you know, what happens now, you know, I, I, I've heard people saying this won't fly anymore. There's no way, there can be no way that the, the value generators of world football are going to allow the game to be dictated by a CONCACAP or, 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 you know, 30 votes controlled by a guy in Trinidad. There's just, the money's too big now, Grant. The money's too big. And, you know, I think what you'll get is something like we're seeing in the NCAA. You'll start getting the people and the franchises and the countries that are creating the value, which means the big media markets, which means mainly Europe, saying, listen, we're withdrawing from FIFA. We, we just don't think it's it's fit for purpose. Um the Euros are a great thing, um, but, you know, we'll throw a couple of wild cards for the Euros every two years. And how about Brazil and Argentina get a wild card? And how, you know, like, and, and, and do exactly like the NCAA conferences and pick off the big value assets to bring them in there. I, I honestly think, Grant, that FIFA's done after this documentary. It can have no authority anymore. That's very interesting because we saw a bit this week and, you know, we touched on this um, in the groundsman last week, but the uh, the decision of these seven football associations to back down over the one love armband thing. You know, we talked at the time about how disgraceful it was. Subsequent to that, obviously, stories have come out. Um, I think it's the, the Germans or the Danes, one of the two. I forget now which one, Rog, but one of them is talking about this may be it for FIFA. We might pack up our tent and pull out and, it will, you know, if we can get the other six nations to pull out, we've got a very strong case. So, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe that, ironically, is going to be the tipping point that gives the guys at UEFA kind of cover to do what it sounds like you think they should have done a while ago. 
Yeah, uh, again, the, today I think the head of the English FA was coming out saying how um, how betrayed he felt about this last minute change uh, to to the armband thing. Uh, like, well, we covered that last week. I think being disappointed isn't enough. I think they should have just pulled out. Um, Budweiser, I think, are asking for a huge amount of rebates on their their beer sponsorship. <laughs> rightly so. Uh, And and I want to ask, Grant, when you see that documentary in a world today that is very quick to judge whether you've got your your morals and your attitudes correct, who in their right mind is prepared to spend tens of tens of tens of millions to be associated with that organisation? And not only them, the IOC as well, because the IOC in Dentsu, there's a whole lot of nonsense coming out about them as well. I think these bodies, we've been saying it for a while for more business, macro, uh, market forces reasons, but I think for reasons that are more about they're not fit for purpose and it's so clear that they're not, I think they're done, Grant. And the question is, what happens now? It was already complex. You know, the big clubs, the super leagues breaking away from the domestic league, uh, their fights with UEFA, uh, who's financing them, who's not, uh, uh, PE money, sovereign wealth money. It was already uh, complex. But if you take away the the power structure, what they love to call the football family, which isn't a family unless it's the Sopranos, um, you, 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 you've got, not, you've got, it's a free for all. It's like, you know, when the, the, the drug lord of Chicago dies, there's going to be a gang war after that. You know, that, that, that's, that's how I see it. And, you know, I, I really do ask everybody to have a look at that documentary because it goes beyond FIFA. It goes beyond Blatter and it goes to the fundamental original sin of sport, which is it's, politics with a most awful constitution that is not fit for purpose. Well, it's an interesting idea, Roger, that it's done. Um, but it does make me think about the, the point you made around the Super League when it first came up. You know, you said they just got the comms wrong. Um, so I think you're right, but unless the people looking to take FIFA down can get their comms right, FIFA's comms are pretty damn good. I'll be honest, Infantino put a dent in him with that ridiculous speech he gave the other day. Um, but I don't think he'll make that mistake again. But the, the the slickness of the product and the way it's sold and the way it's packaged, their comms are very, very, very good, Rog, and, and very practised. And, um, you know, for, for someone to come in and disrupt that with the kind of story you're talking about is going to be a big job. I, I don't think. I don't think so, Grant. I mean, there's... I don't think so. When when you've got the Germans with a photograph, a team photograph with their, their hand over their mouth, you've got yep. the Danes, you've got the English, everybody now, um, this isn't just about, it's too blatant. And, and more importantly, you know, I know what will be going on in UEFA now. They'll be saying, look, are we going to put up with this again? You know, we are naturally outnumbered in the voting system for FIFA, naturally. And even if we weren't, 
all it takes, the last 25 years shows this, is certain brown envelopes to go to certain people. And we will never, we will never win again the presidency. So it will be the tail wagging the dog because whichever way you cut it, the value going forward is Europe, um, maybe Japan, and certainly America. And remember who took down FIFA? It was the Americans, you know? Yeah. They took them, and then and, and like... Um, they got the World Cup immediately after that, which was which was um, quite ironic, really. But the Americans are, you, you know my view, Grant, the, the future of football is in the Americas. Um, and, you know, they, they, they are not going to put up with, you know, a nice little video from FIFA or, you know, a couple of little gestures and, and, and an armband that, that talks about respect. Those days are gone, Grant. It was already going to be tough to hold the line about the market forces needing to dominate. You can only hold that line if you are truly pure and for the good of the game. And and FIFA has shown not to be that. It was it was clear for 25 years it wasn't, but now maybe everybody sees that. And all the heads of the FAs, who are the voters, are now embarrassed enough that I believe they themselves are saying, look, if we don't distance ourselves from them, we're going to go down with this ship. And all of a sudden, the English FA is thinking, well, maybe the premiership will just knock us knock us away, you know, because that, there's always those tensions, you know, yeah. because there's always those tensions. So I, I, I tend to think we've seen the beginning of the end and we're maybe already middle of the way through it. Um, so as I say, I recommend the documentary, some amazing stuff in there. It's in what I saw, it is the truth. It's not hyperbole. It's not, um, sexed up for effect. That's the stuff that happened. Fascinating. Well, um, I mean, there's plenty of other stories, but before we get to a couple of stories in the world of business and sports, what about the football itself, right? You didn't say, you said you haven't seen much. What have you seen and what have you thought of it so far? Um, I saw England's first game, which I, I liked. Uh, he played a back four, which which I liked. Um, Bellingham, we've been talking about for a long time. Those two in front, Bellingham and Rice are good. I, I, you know what I've been thinking about in this World Cup, strangely, I've been thinking about halfbacks old-fashioned halfbacks, you know, like the, the old 2-3-5 system. And I was yeah. watching Brazil. Obviously, I watched Brazil. I was going to watch them. And I saw Marquinhos, Casemiro, and Thiago Silva. And I thought, that's something to build a World Cup winning team on. And I've been looking at halfbacks all the way through, you know. Um, England, England were okay against Iran, I still don't understand why they're not playing Foden the way that Spain yeah. are playing uh, Gavi and, and Pedri even, you know, like young kids, just go for it. You, you, I mean, like Gavi's 18 and he, yeah, look, and he yeah. walks around as if he's like Iniesta reincarnated. You know, like Foden's England's best player. You got, you, you know, that's always how I look at football. Who's our best player in this dressing room? And you say, it's that guy. Uh, right, how do we set a team up to play around that guy? Uh, England's never done that. Gareth's never done that. I don't think you don't think he likes him. Um, and you know, even in the, I didn't see the Saudi Arabia game. Was it England Saudi Arabia? Was that the draw? No, 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 no. It was uh, USA that they drew with. All right, England USA. I'm just not on this yet. England USA. I didn't see. It. I was told it was turgid. And yeah, it was, it was, it was. Uh, you know, like Harry Kane, 
even in the Euros last time around, I don't think it was great. I think Harry Kane's a little bit hit and miss. Um, I, he's never been my favourite. Uh, he scores a lot of goals. He's got a good eye for a goal. But I think in these tournaments, I, I just don't. He's. I just don't think he's the right guy. Um, so I, for, I, sadly, I don't think England are going to go very far in this tournament. Grant uh, Brazil, like I said, they look very solid with the halfbacks. Um, a plethora of attacking options so that if one isn't playing you can put in another one and with five subs the fact that you have got such a strong bench really important um, France looked pretty good but um, I'm not sure how much beyond Mbappe there is and again losses like Kante and that halfback line I don't I think they will pay for that. I think that the two, I don't know if they go meet in the draw. I haven't studied the draw, but for me, the final should be Brazil, Spain. Yeah. Well, well, we'll see. Well, listen, let, let's, let's switch from football. So we don't end up talking about football for an hour. Um, what about uh, Doddy Weir? Um, such a, such a sad, sad story uh, to lose such a great man. And he really was just a, a, a towering individual, both on and off the pitch. Well, that was the the the, the kind of like the my theme for today's show. Um, it wasn't going to be goal on goal. It was going to be from the sublime to the ridiculous. Uh, the ridiculous we covered already with uh, FIFA, and of course, Dory for me is the sublime. Uh, and I wanted to talk about this. Um, you know, we don't talk about what we're going to discuss before. I was going to bring up Dory. I think any podcast has got an obligation to do that. But I wanted to do it for you, Grant, because I think this is the sport that you still want to hold on to and hanker after, and rightly so. You know, people sometimes misunderstand me and think that I enjoy the way sport's going. I'm not necessarily, I'm like you. I just, I'm one of these people that is, you deal with the problem the way it is, not the way you would like it to be. So this is the quote I read of all the things I read about Doddy in the last 24 hours. This is the one that I thought about you. His 10-year and 61-cap international career was just beginning, and it was the split between the amateur and professional eras, and there's no doubt which one he preferred. Doddy was a farmer. He was a social animal, not a gym monkey. He loved talking rather than training. Lift a pint or, a, or lift a weight, there was no decision to be made. He once said that no bleep test or any such device to monitor the fitness of the first wave of professional players could judge a guy's personality when the chips were down on the pitch and when his mates needed him to go the extra mile. There was no machine to measure character. Doddy was one of those that had character, you know? And, you know, that's... He was an amazing man, Um I, I I never met him, um, but a couple of my friends were been very close to him since he was diagnosed with that awful disease. And I've heard, you know, the way he's, he's held himself and, and you don't need me to tell you, um, you, you know, all the old clips from the Lions tours, just one of these people that, you know, I don't know what the it factor is, but he had the it factor and um, just desperately sad and, and it is worth saying what I said a second ago. He went from that old style of amateur rugby, which in many ways was glorious. These were all guys that had another career. Dory was a farmer, others were lawyers, others were 
normal folk in Korea, and then they played their rugby in an amateur way. They weren't bulked up the way they were today. They, uh, they are today, not as fit, but the rugby, in my opinion, was much more scintillating, much more full of characters. And, you know, I've, I've said this many times, I think today's rugby is very similar to the rugby league that you saw in Grandstand um, on a Saturday, which I, I, I always found was a, a, a poor a poor cousin for the Six Nations and the Gareth Edwards of this world. So I, I think he's the last of those ones that did it with that kind of attitude. I don't think they exist anymore. But I'd like to finish this by saying, this is what I mean when I say rugby misses a trick. Because the kind of guys like Doddy Weir, football doesn't have them. Football's got a lot in the main of spoiled brats. You know, tennis is going that way as well. You know, everybody's on their Instagram. Everybody's going into dressing rooms with headphones on. It's all about them and their social media teams. Rugby is still about, as 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 that 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 article said. You know, who's got the character to, to the extra mile for your for your mate? Rugby should 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 take that example. And that is their why. That is the reason why they will be one of the survivors as the sports industry changes. Because nobody else has got that. What other other sports got a Doddy Weir that you can think of just now? No, look, I agree with you. And you hit the nail on the head for me as I was thinking that. And, you know, obviously it it happened in the middle of of the Soccer World Cup. And um, so I'm sitting there watching all these footballers playing at the very pinnacle of their sport. Um. And, you know, to me, Roger, you realise that, that Doddy Weir was a man first and a rugby player second. And, you know, modern-day footballers, in fact, as a, as a kind of um, catch-all for modern-day sportsmen, are sportsmen slash celebrities first and their character and whatever else is supposed to make up the man or the woman is very much secondary unless it comes out that they've transgressed and then the press jump on them. You know, there's there's so little requirement, it seems, to be of good character these days if you are, if you can kick a ball or throw a ball or catch a ball or or you know, swim fast. Um, and I think it's a great shame because I think in 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 sportsmen and women, you you have people who are naturally perfect role models for kids because every kid grows up playing sport of some sort and some give it up when they have the chance because they don't enjoy it so much. And for others, it becomes a lifelong passion. And so I think, you know, guys like Doddy Weir embody everything that's good about the sport of rugby, um, as he did, but also what it means to be a man of character. And, and I think it's a great shame that, that the sport and the, and the talent at a sport, if you have that, it doesn't seem to matter what your character is these days. You are put on a pedestal and held up as, as an example for for a generation of young kids, you know, the perfect example, your, your mate Karim Benzema and that story we talked about, you know, maybe a I year ago. I still hear now, nobody know? calling him out on that. I still hear nobody. Right. But, but nobody. precisely my point, right? And, and all, all we read about was what a blow it was to France to not have him in the team because he, you know, you had to pull out for injury right before the World Cup. And, and I think that's, that's for me, a great shame that, that guys like Doddy Weir, um, are, are few and far between, and guys like Benzema are seemingly everywhere. So it was it was a it was a very sad day to lose someone like Dolly, particularly as you say to to such an horrendous disease. Um, you know, it's a, it's a it's a very poignant and a very sad day. 
Well, t- talking about the opposite of, of Doddy Weir, um, and it takes us into the Man United story, which you called beautifully on the last goal, you know, that um, sandwich board in front of Aramco. <laughs> That's a great call, Grant. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, we've had Piers Morgan and Ronaldo um, doing what I thought was just a horrendous, a horrendous interview. Now, um, now, did you watch the interview? I did. Yeah, I didn't. I, I, I can't stand Ronaldo or Piers Morgan, so to watch the two of them together, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Well, I mean, it's an important interview because obviously it left the club nowhere to go but to terminate. Um, now, I, I can't stand Ronaldo either. I just don't, I don't get that that at all, on and off the pitch. Uh, but, you know, Man, he owes Man United for, for the first part of his career. You know, um, if in any business you go there in good faith and you say it's the right move for me just now it's my club um, uh, I'm going to like spend it, maybe the last years of my career with Man United because they were the ones that, that, that kind of launched me if it's not working out you've got a duty to buckle down and just keep your bloody mouth shut I but, think right but but this goes back to the Dolly Weir thing that's not Ronaldo he doesn't give a toss about the team he doesn't give a toss about what he ought to do I'm Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm the most important man in the world. I should get my own way. And if I don't get my own way, I'm going to do whatever it takes to um, to make you back down. I mean, that's that's, that's the perfect counterpoint to Doddy Weir, right? Perfect counterpoint. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to him now. I sense both he and Messi have got a very good chance to end up in the MLS. Um, but anyway, it's not important. Uh, I, I hope I hope he certainly doesn't do anything in the World Cup. He doesn't deserve to have a World Cup winner's medal, in my opinion. Uh, Messi, we've talked about. You um, asked me what I saw. I saw the Argentina game because the games that have got high jeopardy, I, I like to see. So they had a high jeopardy game last night. I thought they were poor. I, I don't think they're going to go far. I'd put them in the same bucket as England. Um, Gary Neville took a lot of heat for... Um, having a go at Messi at halftime, which is always risky when you've got a, a, a world-class player like that. And, you know, he's obviously getting an egg in his face this morning, but he was right, to be honest. Messi does look a little bit, um, age has taken his toll a little bit. Uh, I, I don't think he, he, I don't think Argentina are going very, very far. Um, but, you know, uh, the interesting thing about this World Cup, Grant, is... You know, I, I don't think I'm ready to talk about this yet because I'm still processing it. I'm digesting it. You know, the big macro thought, you know, where does Canada come from? Canada, okay, they're out, but they've played superbly, right? Japan, Morocco, Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, yeah. Um, they were no mugs. I saw their second game. They, they oh, wasn't their a first flash game in the pan. Was, they came <laughs> absolutely. Against. Yeah, no, but, right. no, but that's what I'm saying. It wasn't a flash in the pan. They played no, very, very no. well. They were unlucky to lose the second game. So, so what is this telling us? And I can say I haven't formed my opinion yet, but, um, you know, when we were growing up, Grant, international football was the pinnacle. And, and I remember many conversations, official conversations where, you know, there would be a top league player and, and you'd be in a boardroom somewhere and, 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 and as, you know, even his own chairman would say, yeah, but international football is just a bridge too far from a, from a boy, you know? International football was seen as the ultimate level. Yeah. It's, it's for me clear now that that is not the case. 
Um, I, I, so that I've got a strong opinion on. It's not the case. The Champions League's a higher level. Um, but why is that not the case? You know, um, this is an unusual one and maybe not fair to, to extrapolate, but these teams have had no time to prepare for this World Cup. They had a week to do it. They're bringing players from all around the world because the game is globalised. This is my point a little bit. You know, in, in our time, international teams more or less had most of their players domestically and then they had one yep. or two. Of, and they all knew kind of each other and they all respected each other and, you know, probably went out drinking if they were Man City, Man United. They knew each other. You know, but now I don't think it is the case. And and I'm thinking, is that globalization has done that? There's so many, you know, f you know, it's a global market for players. They're, they're, the teams are full of all different kinds of personalities. No time for international football. Uh, so international teams are in the main pretty rubbish. I think that's, I think that's what I do feel. But then I'm thinking, is there a, bigger theme here that if in the big world we're seeing the end of globalization and a kind of like onshoring again is that coming to football or, or isn't it i'm going to reflect on that a little bit more but i'm looking at these smaller teams doing well and not flashing the pans and i'm saying have they come up that much or is it just the germany's and the italy's they just have completely declassed international football as a busman's holiday i don't know the answer yet grant yeah, it's a fascinating thought rog it's a fascinating thought because you're right you know these these teams that used to be fodder in the world cup you know there was always that one weak team in the group and look, yes we've had spain thumping costa rica 7-0 but costa rica turn around and win the next game against um, japan surprising everybody the saudis turn argentina over and then are very unlucky to lose to poland um you know, Iran, uh, England thumped them, but they come in and put in a, a very, very good showing in the game against Wales. Um, and you're right, these are all teams that live and breathe together. They spend a lot of time together. Um, they've grown up together. And it, it does make you wonder whether we're, we're in a place where international football is very secondary to these high-profile players that play for the big clubs in Europe, and it's more of an inconvenience. Now, I'm sure when they get there, they all want to win the World Cup. But I do wonder if not winning the World Cup is as heartbreaking as it used to be when you're earning 350 grand a week and, you know, it doesn't really have the cachet that it used to. I don't know. It's a, it's a very interesting point, Rog. Yeah, I need to reflect on that a little bit. It does help if you're Saudi Arabia and when you win, uh, you get gifted a Rolls Royce. Did you see that little story? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I mean, like, um, come on. But isn't that... Cheap to uh, fill up over there too. Yeah, yeah. but isn't, isn't that um, the, the big issue that we're going to have to deal with? You know, a couple of people texted me today about the Man United sale and I was told that um, a, a Kuwaiti acquirer is in the, the, the favourite is the favourite at this point. These are credible people telling me that. That might or may or may not be the case, but um, it is clear that the, the English Premiership and the top teams in Europe are, are destined to either be in um, petrodollar hands or, or in big finance American hands. And you see the Americans, as we said, with Liverpool and Man United pulling back. At what point does it become... 
um, rather unacceptable that the top division in England, the the the, the, the true global league, the only one today, um, is dominated by price insensitive money that is all about geopolitics and soft power. You know, you, you see the London media on Twitter these days. They're 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 really vitriolic now. You know, like they're yep. they're you know. So let's assume Man United goes to the Q80 Wealth Fund, right? They're just going to say okay. They are just well, going to. Say- well, let, let, let's let's sort of look at it the other way, Rog. How can they not say it's okay? You've allowed Man City to go um, Newcastle. To the You've allowed Newcastle to go to the Saudis. How do you possibly then turn around and say, no, 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 the Kuwaitis can't buy Man United? You, you've, you've made your bed now at this point. It's very, very difficult to, to say one petrodollar is worse than another. Um, and arguably, you may have already taken the worst money, so it, it, it's, it's problematic. You know, the thing I'm surprised about is that we haven't seen any, um, any Chinese interest in, in buying someone like Manchester United. Are, are, they not done, are they not done as kind of like investors outside in Look, China? maybe. Maybe, but still, you, you. I'm surprised that there, that there hasn't been any mention of the Chinese as potential buyers of any of these big clubs. I'm, I'm just quite surprised there's been you know nothing about them. That's all. But look, this this the, the petro money is, I suspect, only going to get stronger, Rog. If if the world goes the way I suspect it to, and the price of commodities goes the way I expect it to, then there are going to be more petrodollars sloshing around than ever. So it's going to be a very interesting next, you know five or six years, um, if we find either Americans in the shape of owners or clubs themselves falling on hard times and looking for money, they're all going to be looking to the Middle East. I think that's just the way this thing is going to go. Well, it's going to be the Middle East or it's going to be some very strategic media sector play. Um, you know, obviously well, Apple. I mean, Apple, talk, Apple being talked yeah. about strongly about buying Manchester United. Which, look, I mean, I, I'm sure there'd be an awful lot of people who'd be very relieved to see Apple buy Manchester United. Yeah, but again, that comes back to my thing. Whichever way you look at it, um, you know, football's the biggest entertainment product in the world, maybe the only global one. Um, America's the, the the capital of entertainment in Hollywood, and that's the way sports going. It's the capital of venture. It's the the the, the venture capital center of the world, and it's Wall Street. Um, I can't see the Americans and their big media and big tech companies not ultimately taking hold of big football. And I mean big football. You know my definition of big football. Um, so I, I can see that it's a bit of a death match between them and between the petrodollar ones. And it comes back to that grand Henry Kissinger deal, doesn't it? You know, the the American uh, Middle East uh, um, deal that was done in the 70s. I still think that's going to be the centre of of what rules the world going forward. Um, But one thing I did want to ask you, because, you know, what we've been saying on this podcast rightly about money's no longer cheap, uh, interest rates going up, cost of capital is going up, all the things that the margins are going to disappear. What's it going to do for asset values? A lot of people come on to me, not least some of my startups, and say, come on, Roger, you can't be so bloody bearish. Um, so let me ask you this. Uh, firstly, in general, then with a specific in the sports sector, is there not a case, Grant, 
um, that people are saying the oil price is coming down, uh, inflation just even arithmetically is going to start, you know, coming off its peak. Uh, you'll actually start, uh, you know, going back to lower interest rates. And is there not, I know you, you're in this community of really, really smart finance men and women. Is there not a, a, a thought that in 2024, certainly, we could be back at relatively low cost of capital? Look, I think we could be back with a lower cost of capital temporarily, um, but I don't think that's going to last too long, Rog. And look, to, to be clear, when we talk about struggles in the sports industry, what we're talking about is valuations. We're not talking about franchises that aren't worth buying and people aren't going to want to buy. We're not talking about sports technology that's not incredibly disruptive and going to be fantastic. It's just the multiples you're going to get for it. That's the difference here. You're not going to get paid stupid money with no need to prove you can be profitable for the foreseeable future. That's the stuff that's going away, right? There is there is still going to be a bid for great franchises, great businesses, great technology. That's still going to be out there. Good. But, but the problem is people have become used to getting paid the kind of multiples um, that make absolutely no sense when you can park your money somewhere for 5%. In, in, you know, in tumultuous times. So that, that's the thing people need to understand. It's not that M&A is going away. It's not that there won't be plenty of bidders for these franchises. But the idea that you can buy a big sports franchise for $6 billion, hold it for two years and sell it for nine, forget it. You know, you're probably going to bid three for it. And if you get it, you're going to make sure it turns a profit. And then when you decide to tell it, you're going to look at a more reasonable exit. You know, the Glazers is actually going to be a fascinating acid test here, Rog, because, um, you know, we'll be able to see the kind of multiples the bids are ready to pay. And we'll be able to see how keen they are to get out of this and what kind of um, metrics they'll accept for what is one of the crown jewels of the football world. So I'm going to watch that that sale of Man United very, very carefully indeed. It's going to be, it's going to be a real um, bellwether for, for the kind of period we're going into now, I think. So here's the specific one. Uh, by the way, I agree with all of that. Of course I do. I work in early stage sport tech and great technologies. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Pri 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 private equity firm makes 400 million offer for 75% for the hundreds. Now, um, two, two points come out of this. Um, that's a chunky valuation for a for a new uh, tournament yeah. and a new format that's what two years old. COVID was launched in the middle of COVID, so like chapeau to the guys there. Um, um, uh, the guy's name is escaping me here. The guy that just left the ECB uh, he was on the podcast at some point. Uh, can't remember Tom Tom something. Um, he took a lot of heat for going towards the hundred. You know all the old crusty kernels you know, saying, how dare you? And, and you yourself, you know, you said, oh, now it's going to be the 60. Uh, you know, you saw that thing there. But, you know, like you say, where, where the acid tests come and where the rubber hits the road, br bridge point that aren't dummies and they aren't price insensitive, they're putting a very chunky valuation on a new competition that is certainly not mature, certainly not proven, for the reason, I think obviously the pitch is, well, this can be the IPL and look what happened there. Um, but is this not a very strong case that 
like I said, you know, with the thing about Dory Weir, um, we can hanker all we want for the sport of our teens, Grant, but it's gone, man. The money is in new formats, whether it's live, whether it's this. Do you know what I mean? Is that is this? Yeah, not- no, I, look, I, I know what you mean, Rog, but but also don't forget, there's always there's always that one AOL Time Warner, right? There's always that one deal that gets done. Um, Credit Suisse buying DLJ, right? There's always that one deal that gets done for stupid valuations at the very top of the market that in 10 years' time people look back and say, well, that was the top. Now, I'm not saying that the 100 is that. I'm saying it remains to be seen whether it's that. But I saw those numbers and, look, these guys are way smarter than me and they've obviously got a plan for this. Um, but I looked at that and and I certainly didn't think, well, that's a steal. You know, they've, they've paid what looks like a very, very full price for that. Um, and it remains to be seen what their plans are and what they're going to do with it, Rog. Because obviously, look, you do have, and the EPL has proven that, you have a, an unbelievably strong audience in the subcontinent for cricket. Um, it's a massive audience. It's a, f- it's a feverish audience, and they can't get enough cricket. So we, we know that there is a big audience for that, but it's not a wealthy audience. It's not an audience with an awful lot of incremental disposable income to spend. So I'll be fascinated to see what, um, these guys do with the hundred because, uh, as I say, when I read that story, I was like, "Ooh, that's a that's a big check to write." Yeah, that was my that was my reaction as well. Tom Harrison, his name is. Um, yes. So, so you know, Tom, I think um, what did for him was the the, the race scandal at the ECB. Um, but you know, since I've been in these jobs and I know how super difficult they are, um, not many will remember. But I think the hundred is his thing, and you know. As far as I can see, we're looking at him creating a half a billion uh, dollar asset on his watch. So Tom, Out of nowhere, yeah, yeah. So Tom, you know, you've got the respect of Ian and Gog. Absolutely. Um, I've got one last thing to finish with, which is um, there's not a lot of laughs tonight because you know the no. the dot the dot the dot the dot, the dot is it's not a time for laughing. I don't think. Um, and in general, you know, um, it's not a time for laughing. But he, here's something that I think is going to be a huge story, Grant, and you'll love this. Um, you know, Tom Brady, um, you need to have FXT. You know that? Ad? FTX, yeah. yeah, FTX, yeah, 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 yeah. sorry, sorry, FTX, sorry. Um, he is now, there is talk that they're going to go after them because endorsement, when you use words like partner, is getting yep. into the realms of financial promotion. Um, and I then, you know, I was thinking about this for the show. And then during the, the, the football, I saw Ronaldo, fin, um, you know, pumping Binance, which you and I suspect are, is going to be one of the, one of the other ones. The next There's, fraud off the rank. Yep. The next fraud. Okay. That's a beautiful way to put Listen, these sports stars, anybody that represents sports stars listening to this, be awful, awful careful because um, this is a very litigious world and that Tom Brady ad that I saw was was not a simple endorsement. It was very much smelt like financial promotion to me. Well, look, Rog, when, I mean, just think about it, right? When tens of billions of dollars goes up in smoke, right, and you're a lawyer who's happy to work on a contingency. Can you imagine the amount of lawyers lining up to say, yeah, I'll sue them. I'll sue them for 50% of whatever we 
get back? Absolutely, I will. So, yeah, I think the, the amount of crypto lawsuits that are going to be coming after FTX and Brady and Matt Damon and all these people who've promoted crypto, when it all comes out in the wash, now whether they're able to go after them, I don't know, but it ain't going to stop people trying. And there are going to be some nasty bulldog ambulance-chasing lawyers who are very willing to go after these guys hard because of the amount of money at stake. So I think you're absolutely right. That is... That is um, that is a clear and present danger for anyone that's been the face of any of these crypto pumps. There's no doubt about it. I've only got one, you know, uh, little funny to end on. Not funny, really. It's in, in the theme of geopolitics. Did you see this thing? Uh, England fans banned from entering World Cup stadiums. Oh, yeah. In, in <laughs> full Crusader costumes. I know. I know. <laughs> You've got to take your hat off to them. You know, like, okay, it's probably a little bit insensitive given, you know, the 2,000-year history of um, Muslims and Christianity and Richard the Lionheart and everything like that. But um, you see the picture. It is very funny, Grant. It is very... Well, Ross, <laughs> let me ask you. Let me ask you. Your your opinion of football fans in general, uh, the kind of median football fan, is such that do you think they know the history of the Crusaders and the Muslims in the Middle East? You or know, they just this, think, oh, it's an English no, night, you know, I'm just no, up no, as a night? No, in this case, I'm going to give them credit. I think they absolutely do know the history of, of the Crusaders and the religious wars. Um, that reminds me of Berlusconi, um, I think at the time of the first Gulf War, it may have been the second, can't remember, where, you know, the whole thing happens and uh, obviously very, very delicate moment given that this part of the world keeps the whole globe warm uh, and everybody's trying to find the right words to condemn, but, you know, find the right thing politically. And him being Silvio Berlusconi says, I'm right up for the next crusade. <laughs> he said that. He actually said that. Of course he did. Of course he did. Well, listen, you don't see me on. You know, Roger, if you're going to do an own, a goal own goal, what better way to finish with Silvio Berlusconi, right? A, a, a walking own goal, if ever there was one. But God bless him. The world would be a much less colourful place him. without him. God bless listen, him. Listen, mate, thank you very much for that. Always enjoyable. Um, plenty to keep yeah. watching, uh, both in terms of on-the-field action in the World Cup and business stuff off the field. That's... Uh, stuff that we will keep an eye on. Our thanks to you out there for listening to us. We really appreciate you. Um, thanks for, for keeping the podcast going and all the emails and tweets and stuff you send us. We really appreciate them all. If you don't follow us already, you can put that right immediately by searching for Entertained R on Twitter. That's the word A-R-E. Uh, you can follow me, should you be so inclined to do uh, so, at T-T-M-Y-G-H. And you can follow myself at RPM Como, as in the lake as in the lake. Ross, my friend, be well, and we'll do this again soon. Play Foden. Play Foden. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye.